0: Happy Easter it's good to see you guys. He is risen. He is risen he. Yes, I love it. okay I 'm ringing just a little bit. Thank you, Kid City team for that. Uh, my goodness, there's nothing more entertaining than watch kids just go wild over candy. I 'll never forget this Sunday uh, the Easter Sunday morning where we thought, well we 'll have an egg hunt. Um, This was when we first planted our church. We were still leasing Door of Hope's building not far down the road there, and uh, Irving Park was across the street. So we thought "We'll, we'll hide all the eggs in the park before the service, and then afterwards we'll unleash the kids on the park. We get over there after the service. Someone had decided to find all of the eggs and not steal them, but just stomp on them, and like leave them, and take the candy. It was the saddest thing ever. It was like the Grinch stole Easter. Um, Fortunately, isn't that just messed up? Uh, Fortunately, uh, one of the families who happened to live like literally around the corner said, you know what, we've got like 100 plastic eggs and candy for our kids for after church. Give us like two minutes, we will be back, we will hide them, and they saved the day. He is risen, he is risen. We are going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, so if you have a Bible, um, you can grab one, open it, turn it on, you're very welcome to grab an NIV paperback out of one of the boxes in the center aisle. Or just listen um, if you're under the first century style. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great victory over death. Thank you that you didn't only come and die for us, but you rose again, making a way for us to experience a new life, your life, eternal life. What it means to be your adopted sons and daughters and to have an expectation that we are headed home. Thank you for your promise. Lord Jesus, you said that even though you go, you send another the Holy Spirit, who is to be with us and to live in us. Thank you that you are here now. I pray that you would be our teacher this morning. Help us. I pray that you would open up the eyes of our hearts, not just to think about you, but to get closer to you, to experience more of of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Behold, a profound mystery, what a great way to start. I was um, remembering, just like it was yesterday, I had this vivid recollection earlier this week uh, when I was just a little boy. I don't know how old I was, maybe six, seven, eight. My youngest is eight. But I can, I can vividly see myself as a little boy, um, Out in the front yard, we had a beautiful willow tree right next to our house. And I used to love going out there. And um, I was one of these little kids who could just get lost in my imagination like for hours and hours and hours. And uh, I would go out under this willow tree and uh, talk to myself, have uh, conversations with myself about God. I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember uh, stumbling across some, uh, what I thought was a profound mystery. I thought I had uh, come across some deep question that perhaps no one had ever thought to ask themselves before. I remember wondering to myself, who created God? Uh, Which, in retrospect, it seems like it's kind of a silly question, really, who created God. I remember thinking, like, no, I, I don't think anyone's ever thought of this. <laughs> this is truly a profound mystery, who created God. I, I suppose um, if someone did create God, they would be God, by definition. God is the uncreated creator. It wasn't profound as perhaps I thought it was then, Eventually, I thought of other questions, um, like, where did evil come from? Now that, should I switch over? Oh, 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 good, 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 thank you. Cool. Hello, hello, okay, cool, thank you. <clears throat> Where did evil come from? Now this, this is truly a profound mystery. You know what I, dis- I have discovered about evil? Of course, tomes have been written on the subject of God and evil. Um, what, what do we do with the idea of a good and all good and all powerful God who allows um, injustice, evil to go on unchecked so it would seem in our world? This is is a deep question. It's a difficult question. If God is truly as good and as powerful as he claims to be, then, then why does evil continue to run rampant in our world? You know what I eventually discovered? The Bible doesn't seem... Terribly interested in giving us a thorough explanation of where evil comes from. Some of you may, may be a little uncomfortable with that. Where did evil come from? You know how the story begins? Um, if we go to the origin story in Genesis, we won't, we won't stay here too long. But this is fascinating. Um, this is fascinating. Genesis chapter 2, 1 and 2 tell the story of God's creation and every every day, every stage of creation, he declares it to be good until finally he gets to the sixth day and he creates the humans and we're meant to resemble his likeness and he says, this is very good. And this is how chapter 2 ends, this is how the whole creation story ends, it says in Genesis two. Verse 24, it actually ends in a wedding ceremony. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. What a a beautiful picture of goodness. A man and a woman living an intimate relationship, completely vulnerable, i.e. naked, and without shame. No shame, no pretense, no need to cover up or hide, no accusation, naked and unashamed. What a beautiful picture. What a vision to live for. And then in Genesis chapter three, it says, now the serpent, now the serpent, this crafty creature, Hell bent on deceiving God's kids simply shows up in the good garden. Where it came from, we don't know. Why it's personified as a serpent, we don't know. It's almost as if there's like a prequel to the story that we simply don't have. This evil entity simply appears in the garden. Of course, we can keep reading. We can get to Ezekiel. We can get to the Psalms. And there's other parts of the story that seem to sort of hint, maybe, at where this evil came from. But there is certainly no thorough explanation. The serpent just enters the garden. The Bible doesn't seem terribly interested in explaining the origin of evil. But, but... The Bible does tell us something else about it. God doesn't seem interested in explaining evil, but he does seem incredibly intent on doing something about it. You guys with me so far? We're not told where the serpent comes from, but we are told explicitly what God plans on doing with him or about it. We keep reading, we're told that God speaks directly to this crafty, deceiving creature. And he says, you're cursed. And one's gonna come, an offspring of the woman who will crush you. He will bruise your head with his heel and he will undo the curse that you've started. God plans on doing something about evil. God comes down. God doesn't explain to us how the serpent got there, but he tells us explicitly over and over again his plan and how he's going to vanquish this serpent in the garden and undo the curse and reset creation that we might experience his goodness again. And so God comes down. The story of God, the great focus, the explanation Isn't where evil came from, but what God has done about it. And so God comes down, the offspring comes and he enters into creation and through death, he destroys the one who holds the power of death, that is the devil. As we sang this morning, the immortal one became mortal. God in Christ became mortal and perishable and died for us. The one without sin, the debtless one, paid our debt to God for us. The offspring came and ascended that little hill called the skull where he crushed the head of the evil one. God came down. God did something about evil. Didn't just give us something to think about, a tidy sort of philosophy to explain away the reality of evil in our world. He intervened. He fought death on our behalf and he overcame evil for us. How about that? That's worth celebrating. He broke the cycle. He crushed the head of the serpent. He defanged death. He pulled out its stinger He walked out of the tomb alive, and through his death, Jesus inaugurated the new age of the spirit, as the Apostle Paul puts it. He inaugurated resurrection life. Jesus came out of the tomb and said, follow me. I'm leading the way to eternal life. We call that the age of resurrection This is where we're going. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is what he invites us to experience. Where does that leave us now? Um, Because, of course, people are still dying. Christians are still dying. Injustice continues to run rampant in the world. It would seem as if evil... um, has not been defeated. And yet Jesus is alive. Where does that leave us? What do we do with that? It's great to sing about it. It's great to to declare that it's true, but, but where does that really leave us? Where does that leave us in the wake of the last two years? And as we continue to read headlines of War and evil and injustice running rampant in our world. So what? The tomb is empty. Where does that leave us now? That's, that's the question, right? Where does that leave us? Um, oh, you may have been wondering why the toilet paper. You, you didn't bring any? I recently... No, I won't share that. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> well, what did you think I was going to say? Do you guys remember... No, you know what I'm going to say. Do you, guys, do you guys remember the great toilet paper crisis of 2020? Or the toilet paper panic, as I've dubbed it? How many of you, show of hands, stocked up on toilet paper in early 2020? Yeah okay. Hey, no judgment, no judgment. I I actually had a couple of you in here like drop off toilet paper on my front porch. I'm like, thank God we were we were down to our last roll. Is it isn't isn't it a bizarre thought though? About two years ago, it was about like a month ago or two years ago. It felt like the world was. Like it kind of coming to an end. It was that vibe, was it not? Like, What is happening? Everything, everything's, this is nuts. And so what did we do? Surely, I think the world's about to end. Quick, do we have toilet paper? (laughs) What is that? What does that say about us? It's the weirdest thing. I've been thinking about this a lot. Why? Why was I so concerned about needing toilet paper? And I kind of get why, but there's a lot of other things I could have been more concerned about. Toilet paper. What happens? What happens? What happens when the toilet paper runs out? So, I I don't want to... Be perfectly honest with you, I'm so tired of talking about like the drama of the last two years. It's like, oh, it's so boring, it's so old, but it's 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 become like a very real part of our life. We were we are still living in the wake of these last two years, uh, the turmoil, the the strain that that all of the circumstances have put on our relationships our finances, our mental health, our communities. And I don't think it's just going to go away now that the governor has told us we can take our masks off. Thank God, you know, we, we, can, we can do that. Some of you have masks on, that's, that's fine. Obviously, we, I think we've all moved on we're and all, we're all okay with each other doing what we need to do. But just because it feels like we moved on doesn't mean there's still not a whole lot of healing that needs to take place. Personally, I've been thinking about relational healing. Um, some of my relationships over the last couple of years have taken on major, major strain. And so there's, there's work to be done. But I think about the ways that we panicked over the last couple of years and the things that we focused on and the, the, the issues or the, the stuff that we prioritize Perhaps some things over and above the other, and it made me wonder. It's been making me wonder what, what should we have been focusing on? What should we be focusing on now? What does the empty grave offer us as we continue to process through real pain and even death in our world? And is stocking up on toilet paper really the thing? That's going to get us through whatever the next great crisis or issue or pain or death might be in our lives. What happens when the toilet paper runs out? what if it's not just about the toilet paper? This is a metaphor, right? What if it's not just about the toilet paper? What if the things that we thought we needed to get us through the difficult parts of life weren't really as valuable as we thought they were? What happens when, what happens when your patience runs out. What happens when your money runs out? What happens when you finally have to bury your grandparents, which I did last summer? What happens when you do end up losing your job and homelessness all of a sudden is no longer just this thing that happens to some people. What happens when that foundation that you thought would always be there, that relational net that was meant to be in place, so if something really did? Happened something unexpected and tragic in life, that family unit would still be there. They'd still be in place. What happens when your parents finally split? That one's going to take, take quite a toll. What happens when everything starts to run out in life? What happens when those people that you thought, like were really for you, believed in you, loved you, were there for you, no matter what, all of a sudden, just don't come around anymore because of maybe something someone posted online How does the empty tomb help us in the wake of real pain, even death now in this life? You know, I was wondering how long this would take me. I, I thought this through, but I didn't actually practice. Like running out of things like, what else, what else could, did we lose? What happens? Here's one. This past year, um, my marriage, it we we we've had like ups and downs. A lot of amazing ups, some pretty serious downs. This past year was maybe one of the hardest years ever. Of course, of course, it was my fault. It's always my fault. Always my fault. What happens when things start to unravel? And you're like, the things that I used to look to, the things that used to help me feel whole or secure are no longer there, and everything's being shaken. It's like my, my whole identity is starting to unravel. What do I got left? What do I got left when I consider... The tomb that's now empty. I got hope. Hey, I got hope. What do Christians have when everything we once clung to in this world it's taken away from us? What does the empty tomb mean for me when it feels like everything else has run out? It means I have hope. That's what the resurrection means for us today, now. Even if some should pass, even if I should sleep, the Christian metaphor for die, even if everything that I desire to enjoy in this life should be taken away from me. The one thing that remains, the one thing that cannot be taken from me is hope because Jesus is alive. Jesus has conquered death. The tomb is still empty. I've been there, I saw it, not really. I went to the tourist tomb in Jerusalem. Probably not the real one, but that one was empty, I guarantee you. Jesus is alive, which means when everything else or if everything else is taken away from me, the one thing I still have and will always have is hope, hope in this life. And guys, let me tell you something. When it feels like the world is falling apart, when everything's unraveling around me, toilet paper is is nice, it's convenient, it's good to have, But if I lose hope, I've got nothing left. Nothing to hold on to. Nothing to keep fighting for in this life or eternity, for that matter. The last two years, we've all had to grapple with where we get our hope. What is your hope? come from. Because this is not just a sort of Christianism. This isn't just a religious thing. This is is as, as real and as necessary as air. Every human being needs hope. To whom do you look to for your hope in this life? Without hope, without hope, We will give up fighting. Without hope, we'll leave. Without hope, we'll walk away. Without hope, we'll stop praying. Without hope, we'll look for ways to escape. Without hope, we'll stop dreaming. Without hope, we'll throw it away. Without hope, Shirley and I would have called it quits. Maybe. Probably not this year. Probably like a decade ago. Without hope... There's nothing worth suffering for. Without hope, there's no reason to endure it any longer. What's the point if I'm just delaying the inevitable? Why keep on torturing myself without hope? But with hope, with hope, now let's bring it around. With hope, I have a reason to keep fighting. Not even the threat of death, can keep me down. Because if Jesus conquered death, then no matter what happens, death doesn't get the last word in this life. No matter how far gone it looks, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what's going on, even if I should face death, that's not the end. Because Jesus has defanged the enemy, he's conquered death, he's walked out of the grave, even death itself doesn't get the final word anymore. I have a reason to keep fighting. I have a reason to keep dreaming. I don't have to run away. I don't have to sedate myself. I don't have to simply try to go to sleep and pretend like everything's all right or it's somehow going to magically work out. I don't have to take my own life. If Jesus conquered death, then there's still hope. Because what can can compete with death, if not new life. <clears throat> you know what it reminds me of? I was Preachers are always trying to find the good illustration. Um, pro tip, just read a lot of Tolkien. That's all you have to do. <laughs> Got that from my wife. You guys remember, maybe you've read the books, maybe you've seen the movie, but you remember that epic scene? in helms deep, and they're kind of making their last stand. And all of the orcs and the Iroquois have finally broken through. They've breached the wall. They didn't see it coming, but they've broken through and they've, they've surrounded uh, Aragorn, and the king, and all of the, the soldiers. And uh, they're about to give up until Theoden makes this speech He says, the end will not be long, said the king. But I will not end here taken like an old badger in a trap. Snowmane and Hassafel and the horses of my guard are in the inner court. When dawn comes, I will bid men sound helm's horn and I will ride forth. Will you ride with me then, son of Erathorn? Maybe we shall cleave a road or... Makes such an end as will be worth a song, if any be left to sing of us hereafter. I will ride with you, said Aragorn. And then Gimli makes a bee line for the horn, and he grabs a hold of this and, and he sounds the trumpet. And Aragorn and the king charge out into the orcs and they cleave away and they, they, the war horses trample down the enemy. And then as Aragorn looks to the horizon, I was just, I'm giving myself goosebumps. He looks to the horizon. He looks to the horizon to see, to see that wizard Gandalf waiting for him, light shining. And the, uh. The, Ro- the Rohim. What are they called, Shirley? The Rohirrim. The Rohirrim. Thank you. Those, those battle horses, a whole army of the Rohirrim on their battle horses waiting to charge down into the valley and overcome the enemy. The sound of the last trumpet we will ride forth. Because Jesus is alive, is alive, there is still hope. It doesn't matter how bad it looks, no matter how the enemies manage to infiltrate our lives or the world or our city or our families, our relationships, even our bodies. When the last horn sounds, the king rides out and he looks to the horizon and he says, who's with me? Will you ride with me? As God breaks through, as light overcomes the darkness, Christian, Follower of Jesus, if you know him, if you believe the tomb is empty today, you have hope. You don't have to give up. You don't have to stop dreaming. As painful as it is, and let me tell you something, it hurts to hope. It costs something because it means you have been knocked down. It means there is a reason to fear. There is a reason to give up. You have felt the sting of evil. But because the tomb is empty, you can get back up. There is still hope. You can face that enemy down the barrel and say, today, today I may die, but I'm not going to be trapped like an old badger. I will follow the king into the darkness because Jesus is alive. Amen? Amen? This is what it means for us now. This is what it means that the tomb is empty. We have hope. We might be out of toilet paper, but I have hope no matter what life throws at me. This hope is not merely wishful thinking. It's not a mere dose of optimism for the masses. This is the hope of battle-worn fighters. It's the hope of those who have stared darkness down the barrel and declared, I will not hide no matter how dark the night. Jesus is alive. Do you know this hope in your life? Let me end with this question. To whom do you look to find hope in this life? And it's a whom, I assure you. It's not a system, it's not a paycheck. It's a who, always. Those systems are always connected to people. You know that, right? Someone's writing your paycheck. Someone designed that policy. It's people. To whom do you look when you need hope in this life? There's a choice. You know, in the end of the gospel, according to Matthew, Matthew 28, um, we're told that the disciples discovered the empty tomb. Some worshiped Jesus and some doubted. Oh, I love the honesty of the Bible. When they saw that Jesus was alive, some worshiped him and others doubted. To whom will you look when you need hope in this life? It can be a difficult thing to believe that the man who claimed to be the Son of God, who predicted his death and resurrection, actually pulled it off. To believe in this miracle of resurrection life. If you've ever struggled to believe that, that the resurrection is more than just a spiritual metaphor, that Jesus actually came back to, to life, you are in good company. You are in, in fact, I would go even farther you're not special. (laughs) Sorry. People have always struggled to believe that Jesus could have actually done it. That the tomb is empty. Our king is alive. I can't convince you to believe it. I could give you some good books. Wouldn't be a bad thing. There's some great ones out there. We just consider the evidence that's been presented for the empty tomb. Like there's something there. There's, there's a reason why Christianity just kind of like took off overnight. When the tomb is empty, people start to notice. But some doubted. The real question, you wrestle through that and deal with your own doubts and your mental hurdles and all the things that I've done and that everyone has to do, you've still got to answer the question to whom will you look when you need hope in this life? You can hope in yourself, you can hope in, I, I don't know, it sounds so cliche, but you can hope in a politician or not. You can hope in your family. Probably a little bit better. You can hope in this king who conquered death, who charged the darkness and says, who's with me? Will you ride? Hmm. I've chosen Jesus. Many of you have as well. I've chosen to believe. And to believe it's a journey to be sure comes quite naturally for some, not so much for others, that's okay. But I want to ask you the question, to whom do you look when you need hope in this life? Do you know the power of the resurrection? Have you experienced this hope? Are you trying to piece together some other kind of hope that's not super great because you still have to answer death in this life? Can I appeal to you? Trust Jesus. Do it now. Believe. You're going to have to believe someone. You're going to have to look to someone. Why not look to the one who laid his life down for you? Not out of obligation, but because he loves us. Because of his perfectly, his truly sacrificial Death, because he was the sinless one who wasn't doing it to get something from us, but because he was sinless, death couldn't hold him down. He became sin on our behalf. He went into the grave and he left the curse in the ground. Can I invite the worship team to join me up front, please? Not only is he the one who conquered death, but he's the good king who loves us. Will you trust him? For some of you, um, and I'm, I'm ending, I'm ending. For some of you, it's gonna mean figuring out some sort of a next step. You need hope. I don't need to convince you of that. That's a human thing. You need hope. What's been working for you thus far hasn't been working at all. And so now you need to make a decision and I'm putting one before you. I'm I'm appealing to you. You need to make a decision and it's probably going to be more than just to like think about it, but to actually take some sort of a step. Maybe acknowledge where, look, I've tried to find hope in other ways, and I've sort of kept Jesus at a distance, I've put him on a shelf, but perhaps I need to to make a quality decision and figure out who am I going to find hope in? Will it be Jesus or not? Will it be something else? Will I simply continue to try and escape the reality of this world? Will I look for a way to sedate myself? Or will I dare to trust, to believe, to dream, to fight, to pray, to believe again, and say, Jesus, you're the one who conquered death. If, 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 if you are alive, I trust you. Lord Jesus, help me. Lead on. And then you lock arms with someone and say, I've made this crazy decision to trust Jesus. I think, I think he might have the hope I'm looking for. And you lock arms. With another brother or sister or someone who's like, you're sitting next to you in a pew. So it's like, I want to do this. I want to experience this hope. You're going to need some people. You're going to need a community. You're going to need someone who can help you process through some of the difficult mind hurdles that we're all wrestling with. Someone to help us actually walk out hope, not just in theory, but in real life terms. What would it look like to hope again for this relationship that I thought for sure was dead, buried, decaying, rotting, smelling in the ground? What would it look like to hope for this relationship again? What would it look like to hope for my future again, for the, for the restoration of my family again? What would it look like to hope for our city again? The city that's buried in trash. I was driving here last night, and once again, there was a violent, destructive mob blocking MLK, all in black, tagging everything along the way. You may have noticed, ACAB, 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 ACAB. And I get it, there's a whole political thing. It's not a a simple thing by any means. But where are you going for hope? To whom will you look to for hope? If Jesus is alive, there is still hope for our city. You don't have to move to Montana. God bless Montana. (laughs) Or whatever city or state or place people are escaping to. We can hope for our city. We can hope for the people that are hurting and burning down the buildings and tagging our walls. I thought for sure our building would be tagged up again this morning. Whatever. To whom will you look to for hope in this life? As we worship this morning, as we sing our songs to the Lord, think about it. Ask yourself, what would it look like to actually answer that question and then take a next step today, tomorrow, next week? Father, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.